lacrosse friends, and welcome once again to Box La Beat. I am Stephen Stamp, your host and an editor at ILindoor.com, where you can find the best of lacrosse coverage on the internet. This week on the show, we take a look, as always, at last week and the week ahead in the National Lacrosse League. I take a peek at the number of games the different teams have played, how it impacts the scoring race, and it's quite different when you look at the leading scorers versus the leading scorers in points per game because there is a pretty broad difference. Some teams have played six games, some have played nine or ten. So that has an impact on what everyone's talking about in terms of the MVP race and how everyone's doing. So, spoiler alert, Mitch Jones is still doing really well, but there are some people challenging him for the top of the league in scoring and I would say in MVP honors as well. We take a look at the Arena Lacrosse League as well. A terrific head-to-head matchup between the two teams battling for first place in the All, plus a new single-game scoring record set by Luke Laskowitz, one of the best shooters in that league. You'd have to give a bit of a nod to Lane Smith as a challenger for that crown for sure, but Laskowitz, one of the sharpshooters, and a 14-point game on the weekend laid his claim to fame in the short history of the Arena Lacrosse League. And of course, as usual, I have a great guest for an interview on Boxle Beat. This week, it is Scott Dominey, transition player for the Toronto Rock. And really good young man, terrific player. And we talk about his career with the Nipissing Lakers in Kufla, how the end of one season with Nipissing impacted the beginning of his very first season with the Toronto Rock when he'd been drafted by the team and wasn't able to join them. He was on the pup list for a while with an injury. And the process of going through that, getting ready to play and getting his chance, which last year led in his first game to a glorious goal on an outlet pass from Nick Rose. Dominey has added a few more goals this year. He's playing quite well for the Rock. He's very engaging, and I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. So I hope you enjoy all of it this week on Box La Beat. Last week in the National Lacrosse League. Weekend, Mitch Jones had the Vancouver Warriors forward very good on Friday night. Three goals and three assists as his Vancouver team lost to Buffalo. Not a great game for the team, necessarily. But then, on Sunday afternoon, they had flown in. We're playing the Rochester Nighthawks. They're down by a goal late in the game. They're down 8-4 at one point. They're down by a goal in the final minute, in the final seconds of the game after Turner Evans had scored a goal to give Rochester the lead just into the final minute of the game. And then Mitch Jones scores with five seconds left in the game. Then he scores in overtime to give him four goals and five assists, a nine-point night of of Vancouver's 11 goals, including, of course, the tying and winning goals the overtime marker included there. So a great week for Mitch Jones, and it has prompted some people to say, Absolutely, he is the MVP of the league halfway through the season. For sure, he's in that conversation. I would just encourage you, before you give him give out any midseason MVP awards or decide on anything, to take a look at points per game. 
by players, because obviously points are important. Jones is leading the league in goals with 24. He's one ahead of Josh Byrne. He's got 56 points, which puts him eight ahead of anybody else. But if you break down to points per game, nothing against Jones. He's played nine games. He has 6.22 points per game. That puts him second in the league, too. You might not think of this person because there's some other guys that have been more recent. Shane Jackson has played just seven games. He has 44 points. That's 6.29 per game. He has 21 goals. If he'd played two more games, as Jones has, he's on track. He's actually, he's not even on pace. He has scored exactly three goals in every game George has played. So if he does that two more times, that's six more goals. We'll give him 27. We'll put him solidly in the goal lead, a few ahead of Jones. Uh, if Jones didn't play between now and then, which he will. Vancouver continues to play. Um, in points, as he's averaging 6.29, that's another 12. We won't round it up even. We'll just go with 12 more points. Would give him uh, 56, which would put him in a dead heat with Mitch Jones. So, Jones, if you think he's the MVP for a Vancouver team that has improved, or looks like they've improved, they're playing some very good games, they're in the hunt for a playoff berth, sitting currently in third in the West, but tied with Calgary. Calgary is the tiebreaker for the head-to-head, but they're in the hunt. I'm not going to argue against it very strongly. I think Mitch Jones has been fantastic, but he is not the only lefty forward who is putting up a bunch of points, playing excellent lacrosse. Shane Jackson does it as he does so many things in his game, a little more quietly, perhaps, but he is right there. And... One other thing, there are three other players who are actually averaging six or more points per game. Uh, Dane Smith and Holden Katoni have each played eight games. Smith has 48 points. Katoni has 48 points. They're actually dead even across the board in their scoring. And, uh, you know, Dane Smith, you could argue, for sure, as a candidate for the MVP, I think because he's got some more weapons around him, perhaps, that sometimes will detract from, you know, what people are the credit someone is, is being given by uh, people who consider MVP awards. Holden Katoni, he's been great. Absolutely outstanding for the Rochester Nighthawks. They've won one game midway through the year, so I don't think he's a candidate for the MVP. Um, as, uh, as the Chicago Cubs management famously said when Andre Dawson was the MVP of the National League and coming back for the next year, he was asking for a big raise. He wanted to get paid really well and, and said, yo, what are they going to do without me? And Andre and the management of the of the Cubs said, we finished last with him. I'm sure we can finish last without him. And that was where the negotiations went from. Don't think it endeared them to him very well, but it is tough to win an MVP on a team that is last or near last in the league. The other player, Callum Crawford. He's only played six games. We're going to talk more in next week in the NLL, later in the podcast, about how uneven the number of games teams have played is. And a factor here, you look at Callum Crawford, he has 37 points through six games. That's 6.12 per game. So the order goes Jackson, 6.29. Jones, 6.22. Crawford, 6.12. Smith and Katoni, 6. Point zero per game. Those are the players with six or more points per game so far. Then you get into Randy Stotts, has played very well. Kevin Crowley, they're both in the five and a quarter range. And you have four players rounding up the top 10 plus ties. Actually winds up being 11. Lyle Thompson, 
Josh Byrne, Sean Evans, Eli McLaughlin, all coming in at five points per game. One player that, looking at the context of the scoring race hurts, is Ryan Lee of the Colorado Mammoth. Great season for Ryan Lee. He's got 43 points on 17 goals and 26 assists. A big, big step for him. He's been a good player, but he is really raising his game this year. He's only 16 points behind his career high set last year with 59. Of course, he's only in his third season, but Lee has played 10 games. So that brings him out of 4.3 points per game average, leaves him out of the top 11. He's 12th in the league in points per game, which definitely is a factor when you're looking at all the variables for MVP. So if you're talking about it, if you're having your own little um, mid-season MVP, we'll do it at IL Indoor in a couple of weeks when we actually hit half of the games played in the season rather than half of the weeks. I think that gives us a little bit more context, a little more uh, depth of data to work with. But do take that into mind. All the players, all the points, all the games, and let the discussions continue. Joining me on Box the Beat, defender, defender or transition player, probably more appropriately from the Toronto Rock, Scott Dominey. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, it's I had a it was a big weekend for you and the Rock. You guys have had a couple of big challenges in back to back weeks playing the Halifax Thunderbirds, who are undefeated. You beat them, then you play the Buffalo Bandits, who, thanks to your win over Halifax, had moved into a tie with the Thunderbirds. So, obviously, big games. Did you guys, I mean, obviously, you hope go in hoping to come out 2-0, and but that's a pretty good couple of weeks to, to get under your belts. Yes, it is. Uh, we just uh, took one game at a time, and, and uh, we saw the Thunderbirds were 6-0, and and, and we were a little short in the lineup, and we just put our, like Matty Sawyer said, the 19 players that were going out of that uh, room at the beginning of the game were had to have confidence, and we did, and we... We put our best foot forward, and we came out of there with a win. And then, same thing uh, this Saturday. We we still had those players out, and we still had uh, we added Stewie to our our our, uh, our depth and our defense, our, our lefty D's, which is definitely lacking. And we did the same thing. We pushed on transition. We didn't give them time and space on, on defense, and we came out on front. I want to go over uh, how you wound up being with the Toronto Rock. And first, I want to go back a little bit. And, um, I want to ask about Nipissing. I'm curious, are you back at Nipissing or are you graduated now? Uh, I'm back at Nipissing. I'm doing a Master of Kinesiology, so another two years for me. Okay. Or one more year after this. This is my first year of Masters. Okay, so another year. So I assume you'll play again next year? Uh, it's in the works, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so for those who don't know, I mean... Kufla probably not as followed by as many people as as the NLL and some other leagues. So you're a three time All Canadian, twice as a attack and and then once as a uh, as a midfielder, and you've been part of a rise in that Nipissing Lakers program that has that two years ago uh, in 2018 saw you guys make the Gataway Cup Final Six for the first time ever. Um, that must have been some pretty exciting times. With there's, a, I know there's a lot of change. About Jason Rudgen as the coach, just a lot of kind of some upheaval and, and developments in the program. What was that whole process like? Uh, back in my first year, the 
there was talks about the the league splitting up into two divisions, and and we were we were against that because we knew that we had we had something, and and me and Tanner Poole were in in the same same age group, same year, and we both made this pact that we would that we would uh, that we would work out and get stronger and make lacrosse our life, and and we did that, and then the next year we had uh, a, a situation where our coach got fired, and the the head of athletics was our coach that had, that knew nothing about lacrosse for about two or three games, mm-hmm. and then Jason Rudge came out to our game in uh, in Nipissing against uh, Bishops, and we lost like seventeen three or something like that, and he he was inspired to to turn this program around, and in the past two years he did that exactly. He uh, he put in new systems, he got a, a culture in there. We have meetings and. Just Jason Rudge and, and the boys really got behind him and and history from there on. Yeah, and the uh, the now you've had some some success, obviously being uh, out of Orangeville, playing, uh, winning. You, did you win two Founders Cups? Two Founders Cups, 16 and 17. Right. I actually called the one in seventeen in Saskatchewan. <laughs> uh, yep. Very fun tournament. Um, out there, a, and and I thought a very impressive group of players, and and I particularly liked. I mean, I, I think uh, Bruce Cod, who was the coach of that club, is really one of the best coaches around in so many ways. And one of it is the character that he has and that he expects from his teams. And as he put it to me, I mean, the Orangeville Junior A team was good. It wasn't like the there were they were taking guys from the Junior A team and keeping them down artificially in Junior B. There's a legitimately good junior A team above you, right? And you guys were Correct. guys working your way up to that. And and part of it, it seems, in that lacrosse factory of Orangeville is you guys really strive to move up and go from fighting for Founders Cups to fighting for Minto Cups. Yes. And not only Bruce Todd, we had Philip Sanderson, which yeah. is someone who instilled in that, that, that culture of Norsemen. We're going to bring our work boots and our pails, and we're going to be a blue-collar team, and we're going to put in the work and practice and, and trust that process of getting better each game. And his big thing was we're going to plant the seeds at the beginning of the season. Every game we're going to plant a seed. We're going to water that seed throughout the season. And at the end of the year, we're going to reap the reward of that harvest. And, and, and the Founders' Cup was that reward, and it was it was glorious. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really impressed with the way that you guys played, very a very controlled sense of, of, I mean, not a controlled game. You guys would run and you were like, you were going, but very, it was system oriented, but the mm-hmm. system, and, and people would talk about it as, oh, it's the system, it's the system. But to me, the system was play solid defense, play smart offense. And when the chances are there to go, you go. And this, the whole system was about putting you guys in position to perform. It wasn't like you hear about systems, especially in some some college lacrosse, where you hear about it being super coached and super systematic, and it's almost like you're taking the athletes out of the game or forcing them into roles that are, are I don't know, some people would say robotic or that, but it seemed to me that your system was about putting guys in position to succeed and then letting you play. Definitely. Bruce Codd, when it comes down to the end of the game, Bruce Codd was five five steps ahead of them on the chessboard right from the beginning of the game. He knew exactly what they were going to do, what we needed to do, and he kind of he taught each of the boys how to play that game and be just smarter than the other team. Like if if you need to take a shot to to get thirty seconds and a timeout, he he knew those plays and 
he was always five steps ahead and that just instilled in us and and the the speeches in between periods were just so inspiring that it just uh, we had to we had to go out there but <laughs> but do it under control and and like you said play good defense and then when that when that opportunity comes you you step on their throat and you you go with it you moved up to junior a for a season a full season in 2018 right yep and then yep. that's your draft year. You're coming out. So you only really played the one full year of junior A. Um, so you go in, you head into the draft, and it's such, I wouldn't say a crapshoot, but it's so unknown what's going to happen going into the draft. And I actually went and looked up uh, where I had you ranked in my in my draft rankings. Because I, do, I did a full mock draft that year. And I had you going to Toronto, but at 24. And it's not quite how it played out. They took Brad Lyons. At 24, at that pick, which I think was a pretty good pick. He's a very good player. Um, then they didn't have a third-round pick. They go into the fourth round, and they take another defender, A.J. Cluck. Mm-hmm. And they're going into the fifth round. And and as Toronto's coming up, which, I mean, there's such a strong connection, Toronto-Orangeville. Were you thinking Toronto might be a likelihood? And when you saw them taking all these D guys, were you thinking maybe that's not going to happen? Uh, I was open to anything. At that point, I only played one year at Junior A. The NLL wasn't in my mind four months ago. It wasn't really a thing that, oh, I need to go, I need to go. It was just, if I go, I want to go to, to somewhere where I know somebody. And I knew Rusty Kruger on Buffalo. I knew right. uh, Sanderson in San Diego. I knew Bruce and and uh, and uh, Sawyer in Orangeville mm-hmm. or in Toronto. Yeah. And if one of those teams would have taken me, it would have been it would have been great. Was that a Freudian slip saying Orangeville instead of Toronto? Maybe a little. And you know they so they do take you at fifty seven overall, and uh, obviously you're pretty happy about that. And then you continue on with the Kufla season, and it's a it's a landmark year, like I said for for. The Nipsing Lakers, you make it yep. to the, the Begetaway Cup playoffs, you're playing Queens, and you've got that game salted away. It wasn't a close game. And in the final few minutes, it was very late. Uh, you, I'd say like five, ten seconds. Yeah, it was right before the, the buzzer, right? So yep. uh, yeah, the timer was on the field, that's right. And, and uh, one of their players, I don't even remember his name, and I, he was basically, that we was the end. Was that? Yep. Yeah. We won't mention the name. No. It was basically, that was the end of his Kufla career because. Mm-hmm. He, this kid comes over, vicious slash two-hander, like it was, it was an axe chop basically over your over your arm. It wound up being, and it was was separated or dislocated your shoulder. It was separated. And yep. I remember talking to you after we were all the. Whole, I, I I do some work for the league as a uh, um, communications coordinator, and I do I announce the Begatway Cup, and it's it's a really good league. There's some terrific plays, some terrific players. And everyone associated with the league was seeing what Nipsing was doing. And it was just so cool to see this rise. And everyone was looking forward to you guys coming to the Begataway Cup at the University of Toronto and playing. And, I mean, I talked to you at the at the Begataway Cup where you came with your arm in a sling to watch. And you, you were very positive. You were very, like, I'm just going to work on it. I'm going to get ready when I can. But also, obviously, it was pretty devastating to not be able to be part of that. Very devastating. That was not only me not playing, but Tanner Poole, which was the two two leading scorers in, right. in the league, were both not able to play in the in the championship weekend. Is 
is a tough pill to swallow for sure. Right, and for people who don't know why, it's because Tanner came to your defense and mm-hmm. he was actually kicked out of the game and wound up being suspended, right, for the game. Correct. Right. My so, best friend coming to my defense as yeah. I'm getting lifted off by the ambulance saying that, yeah. saying some few words, but yeah. you can you can see you can see where he's coming from for sure. Yeah. So like you said, the two leading scorers in the league, you're out and you're there, you know, just supporting your teammates. The game didn't go great. At the Cataway Cup, um, I think you know, talent-wise, emotionally, there was a lot taken out of the team. Yes, yes. Our our team found out that our two leading scorers were not going to play about two hours before the game, as yeah, the decision about Tanner nice. didn't come out until then. So there's the situation. You know, it's been a tough year. Now you're looking ahead to the next year in Nipissing. It looked like you'd be ready to go, but. I remember talking to you, and I don't think you felt... I thought the word was you probably wouldn't be ready during the NLL season to play. Yes, like I went to a, I went to a few doctors, and they said surgery, surgery, no surgery, and then it started getting better, and I went to the Orangeville uh, trainer, Mary Lalonset, and she's uh, an osteopath, and we just did lots of rehab, and I really did some research on how to to rehab my shoulder and it just kept on getting better and better and then went out for the rock and felt to get better and yeah so we didn't didn't go the direction of the surgery which would have taken multiple months to to rehab when were you able to start practicing again because that happened this happened end of october the injury and rock camp started um in i guess it would have been mid or end of november uh, no, it was we we had that little strike, so it was a little bit later. Right, that's right. Yes, so maybe mid December, I would say. Yeah, and were you you were you you weren't ready then? No, I didn't didn't dress, and they took me knowing what I could do, and and there was yes. Yeah, so you're on the. I'm kind of curious what how you manage your expectations when you've been taken by this team. Um, it's obviously a. I know you said you hadn't been really looking towards it per se as, as something you had to do, but it's a dream for lacrosse players and you get taken and then it's kind of taken away from you at least for a while, but you don't even know how long. I'm wondering how you managed your expectations as you did the rehab. Uh, I think just the, the support from the Toronto Rock family, Jamie, Dar- Jamie Darwick uh, called me up and told me to take however long it takes and Bruce called Bruce called, uh, called me the next day and said he knows all this he knows how emotional it can be and just just know that we're behind you and however long it takes that we're gonna we're gonna stick with you and that was just really uh, just helped me up and made me work even harder to get back and and uh, show them respect for believing in me so when were you able to start practicing uh I would say late December, and then I rolled my ankle right right when I got back. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, think I knew I that. Was, yeah, I think I think my body was telling me that I wasn't ready, maybe. so it gave me just a little bit more time to. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> so you you do join the team. You become able to play on the practice squad for a bit, right? Yep. And then most of the year. Yeah, and then late in the season, you get added to the active roster. You dress. For a game, March 16th against Rochester, you were in the St. Patrick's Day jerseys, and fairly quiet game for you, just kind of playing playing like 10th defender minutes, and you had a loose ball, you didn't have any cause turnovers, but 
Early in the second quarter, Rochester's pulled within one goal at 6-5, to five, and there's a shot by Rochester, and I, I just went back and watched the play today just to remind myself because it was it, it really jumped out, I think, for a lot of fans. It was just something about this goal where there's a shot, but the shot's taken, and it was watching it again. I had visions of you being way up the floor already, but watching it again, it was a very Orangeville, very um, responsible play. The ball was basically at Nick Rose's stick when you took off. You knew he'd made the save, right? Yep. <laughs> so you take off. A player, Mike Burke, tries to bump you. You kind of get around him. You're gone. Rosie comes up, and he's so quick getting that ball off. He hits you just past center. And what were you thinking as that ball landed in your stick? Before that, me and Rosie, he got a, he got a stick strung up for that uh, charity game. Oh, yeah. And the day before, we were throwing probably, we probably did 100 passes where I would start there and run run up the field and run up the floor as fast as I could, and he'd hit me just to dial in a stick. Yeah. So we had to, we had to connect the next day. We had to. <laughs> and when I caught that ball, it was catch the ball. <laughs> catch the ball first, and then once I had it, just shoot the ball and put it in that spot, just like you were told when when you were young. Just catch that ball and 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 then and then put it to a spot as hard as you can. As a D guy, you're not you're not doing very many shakes. You're you're running down there, and probably the best technique for a transition guy is shoot before the goalie even thinks you're going to shoot. So. Yeah. Ball, yeah, the ball goes in, you run into the backboards and around, and you, there's a lot of emotion there. I thought some very real emotion. I'm wondering, you know, you've come back off an injury that at first seemed like it was going to be so devastating, but then you fight through that, you come back, and, and you work your way to the roster and get your chance to play. It, it just feels like it would be a huge moment of validation for the work that you did. What were you thinking? Uh, it was. You can see I do my celebration on the boards, and then it all. I jump off on Dan Littner, and then afterwards I do a little, just a little fist pump to myself. And it's like, yeah, it's over. You did it. You, you did it. You got your goal. Yeah. So then you uh, you don't play again for the rest of the season. What nope. was that? I mean, there were there were guys coming in, and that kind of happens when you're new to a roster. Um, was it difficult to after that to not get to play, or were you? I mean, I'm sure they've been pretty clear. Like, hey, you're coming in, but we're gonna. There's gonna be some movement. No, the, the coaches are very, very vocal with me. They, they, they tell you how it is. They tell you uh, in in that situation. They said you're coming in for that game. There's possibility for you to stay into more games. And then the next day, we went to I think Georgia, or I went on a road trip to Georgia on the active roster, and they said. We're not going to play you, but there's going to be lots of opportunity for you to play in the future. Keep your keep your uh, your positivity up, and and we'll see how it goes. So they they were vocal with me and let me know, and and from there I just just kept being positive and kept working hard in practices, and and here we are now. And you go into the the summer, uh, having yeah. been drafted pretty high by the Coburg Kodiaks, and. Was there any direction from the team, from the Rock, about what would be good for you in the summer? Definitely. So Sawyer, at the end of the year, brought me in and, and just said that he wanted me to get uh, experience playing with men, playing with the guys that I'm going to be covering in the NLL. And and also I had Joey, Cap- Joey Capito uh, playing with me as my captain on Colbert, which is uh, probably one of the best transition players in the league. Is 
is going to show me the ropes. So, uh, yeah, they just told me to go up there and, and get your feet get your feet wet in the league and, and uh, see what it's like playing with real men. Did you have any, I mean, had it, in your wildest dreams, did you think that you would come out, score a goal in your first game in MSL, and then put up three straight hat tricks? <laughs> no. No, I did not. Uh, I do like to score. Yes. But uh, I didn't, in my wildest dreams, as a defenseman, as a transition player, uh, no. It was actually funny because Sawyer said, uh, we don't want you playing offense in, in the summertime. We want you to really work on your defense and shut down defense. Yeah. And me getting these, these three hat-tricks, it must, he must have been thinking that this guy must be playing offense. <laughs> I had people telling me you were playing offense. And I was like, I called three of those four games. Because um, yeah. it was, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Peterborough, whatever. I'm pretty sure I was calling a lot of those games or at a lot of those games. And I'm watching these, these goals come and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> This is this is unbelievable. I mean, it was just ten goals through through four games. You're one of the leading scorers in the league. Kind of tailed off a bit, as would be expected. I think after that, had like four more goals in the season. But it was a great season. But the thing that I was really impressed with, and uh, you know, in talking to other folks who were watching, is watching a lot and seeing is it wasn't because you weren't scoring because you were like. Taking off early, it was very much the the Nick Rose pass play all over, where you're waiting until the right moment and just using your speed to, and, and timing to go. Yep, I got in trouble multiple times from Bruce Cod of <laughs> of taking off too early, and I've heard it from my teammates that I'm a I'm a cherry picker. So it's always in my back of my mind that defense is always first, but I like to score goals, like I said. So mm -hmm. anytime I have a chance to to take off, and I know it's a it's a good time, I'm going to take off and. That's also good, good for the game as, and good for your defense because you're going to have uh, offensive players on their heels. You're going to not, not, not have them thinking about scoring goals. You're going to have some of them thinking about playing defense, which is, is playing into our hands. Right. I mean, that's, a, I guess, a part that people maybe don't think about as much. When you think about the transition game, folks are thinking of the goals that can come from it and the, you know, the, the chances. But that's an interesting point because if an, a forward – if it's getting to a point in the possession where it looks like somebody's going to shoot or it's late in the shot clock and they're thinking, I better get going to the bench, that's going to impact how that team can play offense if they've got one or more guys thinking about Correct. going to the bench instead of thinking about attacking the net. Exactly. And it's going to pay off in the long run because these guys are, are running back, playing defense. They're running as hard as they can. Offensive guys are, are cliche. They're lazy. They don't really want to run off. So if you can... If you can really speed them up and, and get them off to the bench, it's going to pay off in that, that third and fourth fourth quarter where they're not going to be running off, and then you're going to take advantage of them then. I'm curious what the dynamic of the group in Toronto now is. You're playing regularly, and I mean, you've been in five games of the seven this year, uh, along with guys. I mean, Brandon Slade is hurt now, but he was playing, and he's out, and Latrell Harris has been hurt. You've had some injury issues, so you've been – you and some of the other young guys have had to really step up. Um, Adam Jay, I think, has been outstanding. Josh Eubenville kind of broke out last year, and he's been playing very well. Uh, there are a bunch of you. Uh, Mitch Gustafson's been playing a few games, and and uh, who, the guy who was actually taking the round after you in uh, in that same draft. So a run of defense. Yep. Um, and then you've got 
the real veterans. I mean, guys like Damon Edwards and and David Brock who came in, Brad Cree who's developed into the one one of the best in the in the league, and Billy Hostros. There's a a real mix of yeah. guys who've been around a while and the young guys. What's the dynamic like? Uh, like you said, we have our we have our horses that we run at the end of the game. Our Billy Hostros, our David Brock, our Damon Edwards, our Brad Cree, and then we have our our new guys that are in there mucking it up have to have to perform their best to be able to to stick with those horses and and we're learning each and every game how to how to better ourselves and they're they're great ones to to role model our game after brad cree is just a a savage out there and one of the best defenders in the league and then you got billy hostrazer that would they'll do anything for a teammate and damon edwards with his athletic athleticness and and uh, David Brock, just a, a great team guy, and transition how he's been scoring the goals couple mm-hmm. last game, and and great defense. It's just great guys to learn off of. And then you got Adam J, me, Juvenville, all these guys that are just itching, and Alex Tullet that are itching to to get into the lineup. And we're going to do our best to stay in it. So it's a good it's a good mix, and it's a good battle. And when uh, I, I find it interesting, this is you talked about the. Bruce Codd emphasizing defense first. And, I mean, Matt Sawyer is also, he's going to be, hey, play play the defense and then go. They want you to run. But I find it interesting. I believe that teams are the ones who, who assign positions to their players for the listing on the roster, whether it's forward, which is fairly obvious, or D or transition. And most teams will list a bunch of guys as transition, some as D, whatever, you know, some of each. There's not a single player listed as a transition player. On the rock no, roster. There isn't. Nope. Is that by design to make you guys remember that you're defenders who happen to play <laughs> transition? Uh, I hope not. I hope <laughs> it's not on purpose, but I think defense is, is important. And like we were taught from Junior B, where we have a play, it's called Aces. All five of you go up, you all play offense. Yeah. You should all be able to go up and play offense and set those picks. And, and it's good to have those times where you all run up. That, that fourth and fifth guy that are running up are usually the ones that are going to get those scoring chances. So it's good for all of us to be able to, to play transition. We're defense, but we're transition. I like that. I like that. I, I still feel like maybe it was like, hey, you're all defenders. You're all, you're all the green light, but you play defense. I want to ask one other thing. Um, the trip from Orangeville to Coburg. Mm-hmm. That you make during the summer. Uh, what do you do? That how how long is the drive? Is that like four hours, four and a half? Nope, two hours. That's two, two and hours. Half. Two and a half plus plus traffic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the worst the worst trip I would say is North Bay to Oakville, North Bay to right. Toronto. That's right. On a Tuesday night, if I don't leave, but if I don't leave North Bay by three o'clock, yeah, it's a it's a five hour trip. Wow. With the traffic in, in Toronto, yeah. And you driving down on your own, or? Uh, yep. Yeah. Nobody else comes comes that far, so. Right. So, I guess that's the real question, then. What do you do during that? Are you a podcast guy? Um, uh, I'm get a the podcast Bluetooth? guy. Yeah? I listen to Toronto Rock, the podcast there. I listen to uh, Joe Rogan, Spin Chicklick. Yeah, and some good music, and yeah, yeah you're there. Nice. There no time with the Joe Rogan two and a half hour podcast, and then yeah. So, so you're suggesting that I should make Boxley beat longer, so on your trip it can cover more <laughs> of your trip. 
Yes, yes, you should. I think the Toronto Rock ones are too short. They they say they're on there for long, but I still have another three, four hours to go, and they're done. <laughs> uh, um, well, that's. I think that just underscores. You know, I mean, the the two and a half hour trip to to Coburg is is pretty substantial. The uh, the five hour trip, if you don't get out in time from from North Bay to drive down and that's for practice. I mean, in case anyone didn't catch it, you're talking about Tuesday night, that's to go to practice. And then you're yep. making the same trip down for games, either to the, uh, Scotiabank arena or airport. to the airport and wherever, and wherever yep. you have to go from there. Yeah. So what's, uh, what are the road trips like with, with that as a starting point? Uh, I sent a, a, a couple snaps to the boys of our uh, ice road that we have coming down. Uh, I usually I usually check the weather. My mom makes me check the weather, so I check the weather and make sure that you got Huntsville, Gravenhurst, Bracebridge, Barrie. All those have different weather systems, so yeah. you're all, you're going through and you're you're perfect roads all the way through, and you get to Barrie and it's a it's a total whiteout. So you there is check a snow belt. Just make sure they're all clear. Yeah. That I mean, I, I've got friends in Barrie, and and honestly, you'll be talking to them sometimes, and I'm like, "What's happening there?" I'm like, "No, it's nothing." And they're like, "Oh my god, we have you know two feet of snow just fell in the last hour or whatever." <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I just I do admire the uh, the determination you've shown and the and the the positive spirit that you've maintained. I always enjoy talking to you at the rink wherever uh, wherever we run into each other and. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to ask, mention actually was how much fun it looked like you guys were all having in the autograph session after the game this past weekend. Yes, it's great. It's great to see all the fans, and you can you never expect to see to see the line all the way around the Scotia Bank Arena, and and to see that it just just lifts you up and want it, and just you just want to play so much harder. Yeah, you wouldn't you just even... want to give every every last and a little bit of energy for these yeah. for these fans that come out and they they bake cookies for you and they make special special uh, posters with your name on it and where you went to school and and it's just really it's really motivating. And and honestly, there's no way when at first you could have seen the end of the line because I was there chatting no. with some people waiting. I was. Uh, driving with somebody and uh, we're finishing stuff up and then we leave and I had to walk out toward from where you guys were signing towards the end and it went for sections like it kept going that they had the ropes out along the side to guide everyone and it went past the end of the ropes they had and just kept wow. going it was it was unbelievable and the the interesting thing I thought that looked was so cool was there was not one person looking frustrated or annoyed, they just all looked really happy and excited. And I walked by, kind of looked at some folks and nodded, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, you know, we're here in line. We're gonna get to go and see the guys and get the." I, I just thought it was pretty cool that everyone was so excited and happy and just enjoying the whole thing. It was. We made sure we they said thank you to us, and we made sure to say thank you to them for taking their time out of their Sunday to wait for us and to come and talk to us. So we appreciate Rock City so much. I'm gonna. Thank you for taking the time out of your evening to come and talk to me on Boxle Beat, and uh, certainly wish you the best as the season goes on. And uh, yeah, it's great having you on the show. Thank you, Stamper. I appreciate it. Checking in with the Arena Lacrosse League. There were five games in Week Eight of the Arena Lacrosse League season. I'm going to focus for our look at the ALL. 
on Saturday, February the 8th, two of the games, uh, I was calling them in Oshawa at Children's Arena, and they both really stood out for quite different reasons. The first game was the Toronto Monarchs visiting the Oshawa Outlaws, and it was a close game for a while, and then Oshawa really pulled away. Uh, it was five, tied 5-5 five, five early in the second, it was tied at 6, it was tied at 7, and then Oshawa started to pour it on. They had four straight goals, one Toronto goal, then three more Oshawa goals. What's really interesting about it is Luke Laskowitz setting the Arena League record for points in a game. He had eight goals and six assists. He had four points in the first quarter. Laskowitz had four points in the second quarter. Another four points in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, just a couple of points. He had uh, a goal and an assist in that fourth. Or sorry, it was two goals in that fourth quarter. Um, probably could have had more Oshawa really kind of reeled things in a little bit, took long 30s, uh, weren't really pushing for shots towards the end as they had a big lead. So uh, Luke Laskowitz with an all-time Arena Cross League record. And the second game of the day, uh, just a couple hours after that one, still at Children's Arena in Oshawa, saw the battle for first place between the Paris River Wolves and the Whippy Steelhawks. Whippy entered the game undefeated at 7-0. and Paris entered the game at 6-1, their only loss, a January game in which they fell to, of course, the Whitby Steelhawks. We expected it would be a very good one. Both teams missing some players. Paris, in particular, had a bunch of players that were not available. Pat Saunders, uh, Brendan Tainhouse. Um, they had uh, some of their top scorers, several of their top scorers not available. For them, Dan Keane, not available. So... It was going to be interesting to see how they did, and it was a battle from stem to stern. The River Wolves actually came out okay on the road, getting a 2-1 lead after the Steelhawks scored the first goal. Paris scored three straight. In fact, they were up 3-1. Uh, Whippy got one. Paris got one. It went back and forth. There was 4-2 four, four River Wolves lead, 5-3 River Wolves lead. But then Whippy had three straight. From defender Rowan Kelly in transition, then righty forward Liam Osborne, um, also a transition goal coming off the bench and uh, banging one in, and then a even strength goal by Liam Osborne again. He had a very strong game. He is ripping it up in the Arena League this year, a ton of goals, and it was 6-5 Steelhawks. Paris tied it. Whippy went ahead. Paris tied it. Whippy went ahead. Then Whippy. With five and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, got their first two-goal lead of the game. It was a Dylan Hutchinson goal, or sorry, it was another Liam Osborne goal. Hutchinson had scored the previous goal shorthanded uh, to give them the lead. And then Osborne makes it 9-7 to seven Steelhawks, their first two-goal lead, their last lead of the game. As Paris would come back 30 seconds, 29 seconds actually, after the Osborne goal, Kyle Dawson scored. Uh, Dawson, a Western Mustang star, and he's competed in the World Junior Championships, was out in Nanaimo playing Junior A for the for last summer, has gotten a lot of experience in various leagues, and it is paying off. Big goal for him to tie to bring Paris within a goal. And then Cole Spear scored his fourth of the game. He was outstanding on the day, second star of the game. 
with those four goals and an assist that he added, uh, taking a pass from Matt Lee on that play. And Spear with a great twister, scored a few of his goals on it, just really dead overhand, and then is able to make subtle changes to his release point and thus his aiming point, and a very tricky to track. With 3.05 to play, Matt Lee scored a goal to give the River Wolves the lead, 10-9, and that was the final score. Uh, Lee made a nice driving play to get to the net and tuck that one home. And the first star of the game was Stephen Orlam in the goalie for Whippy. Shots not recorded, the total shots, but Whippy had a bunch, and they had some very, very good scoring opportunities. Orleman was sensational. Yes, that's Stephen Orleman, the younger brother of Kevin Orleman. Both are on the roster of the Georgia Swarm in the National Lacrosse League, although Kevin is active and Stephen is on the practice squad. But, uh, yeah, the brothers out of KW, Stephen now playing for Brampton in junior. He's got a year of junior left, but he was lights out for the River Wolves. And uh, the... Game was everything that we'd anticipated it would be and more. Uh, very low scoring. They are the two best defensive teams in the league. So it made sense that it was a fairly low scoring game. And they didn't disappoint. Parrish River Wolves and Whippy Steelhawks with a great effort. And Lucas Coote in particular coming in in relief of Bailey Brown. Uh, Brown wasn't bad. He just gave up a few goals that I think uh, Gavin Prout decided yeah, we're going to put Lucas Kut in. Kut had come in the week before in relief of Lane Rushka and was spectacular and got star honors in that game. And then Kut came in to replace Bailey Brown. Rushka had played the Friday night game in Millbrook when uh, Whippy went down to play the Peterborough Timberman. Had a pretty easy time of that, winning that Friday game 19-7 to in a game that wasn't actually even as close as the score suggests. They really dominated. So Rushka gets the night off. Bailey goes in, plays okay. Coot goes in, plays very, very well. But not quite enough as the Paris River Wolves pull out the win. Now, the interesting thing, of course, they're now tied, the two teams, at 7-1 and one in first place, but Whitby, even though they lost yesterday, would have the tie break at this point because they crushed Paris 16-3 to in the game earlier in the season. That was actually a day after Paris had been to Millbrook to play the Peterborough Timberman. So both teams had that same situation where they played the day after a game in Millbrook and both teams were able, well, Paris was able to win this one after the earlier loss, but that difference in goals for and against will make the difference right now in the tiebreaker. It's going to be interesting to see how these teams do going down the stretch. They are clearly the two top teams in the league. That's not to say other teams can't catch up or get hot heading into the playoffs, but right now, Paris River Wolves, Whippy Steelhawks, the cream of the crop in the Arena Lacrosse League. Next up on Box La Beat with Steven Stamp, the week ahead in the National Lacrosse League. Some very interesting and important games coming up in Week 12 in the National Lacrosse League this coming week. Before I talk about those, I would like to talk a bit more about the number of games the teams have played. Mentioned earlier in the show, in this episode of Box La Beat, when we were talking about the scoring leaders and how points per game can be quite different to the, the raw scoring leaders list because teams have played such different numbers. Here is an illustration of just how different 
the number of games they've played are. By Saturday night, the end of this Saturday in Week 12, Colorado Mammoth will have played 11 games. Vancouver Warriors and New York Riptide will have played 10. Philadelphia Wings, Buffalo Bandits, and San Diego Seals all will have played 9. The New England Black Wolves will have played 6. So that's 6 teams playing 9 or more games before another team plays its 7th. Now, New England will play its 7th game on Sunday, an afternoon home game, against Philadelphia, which will give them their 10th game. So then you're going to have a team that's played 7 games, a bunch that have played 9 games, um, 4 who have played 10 or more games when one has only played 7. And that does have an impact on the way that teams prepare. Now, Colorado could say, hey, we've played 11 games through this week. We haven't had the buys to rest, to recuperate any injuries, and that's fair. Uh, For New England, though, the number of bye weeks that they've had this early in the season can make it really challenging to get continuity and consistency, to develop rhythm, to build chemistry with new players. Um, Nobody likes a bunch of bye weeks. If you talk to the players, the coaches, all the members of the teams that are out there competing, they do not like to have a bunch of bye weeks. They like one once in a while as the season goes on. So you get a bit of rest, you get some time to focus on other things, on practice, on getting healthy, on whatever. But they do not like multiple bye weeks early in the season. You can see why as uh, those numbers demonstrate. So we'll see how New England does when they play what's really a very important game against Philadelphia on Sunday. And we'll just see how it plays out. Are they going to be cohesive? Are they, you know, are they at a disadvantage? The last time those two met, of course, was that thrilling overtime win on the disputed Callum Crawford goal that looks about 90% like his toes were on the crease line when he scored the overtime goal. But there was no camera angle that showed it conclusively. So the goal stood and New England won that game. Nothing New England did wrong. Callum Crawford didn't cheat. He didn't do anything wrong. So some people will kind of throw some vitriol at New England for it. Um, I don't think that's deserved. Crawford didn't, he didn't realize he'd stepped in the crease. And if, you know, if the if the camera had shown it properly and the goal had been overturned, then it's just as likely New England would have won as it is Philadelphia. But obviously the Wings not feeling very good about the decision that was eventually reached. They will have a chance for some revenge this weekend. And the two teams have been having some fun on social media. They play a game of X's and O's or tic-tac-toe in which eventually New England got the got the win and put put an O for Philadelphia with as this the O in the word loser. And Philadelphia wrote back on Twitter, congratulations, can we see the overhead camera view of your win? So some pretty fun back and forth on social media between the two teams, and that will be one of the biggest games of this weekend. You've also got Halifax, Toronto, and Buffalo, the three teams battling in the group of death that the North Division was expected to be and has become this season, battling for the two assured playoff spots. The third team from that division will almost surely be in the playoffs with the records that they are compiling, piling the number of wins they're putting together. But they're all playing teams from outside the division. So if you win those games, it's great. If you lose them, it can really hurt your chances if the other teams are winning outside the division. And then, of course, you get all the, the interdivisional games that will be so important down the stretch. But Halifax is playing host to Saskatchewan. 
on Saturday, the uh, 6 Eastern game, a little early, of course, because it's in Halifax. Toronto, an hour later, will play host to the Vancouver Warriors in the NLL Game of the Week, available free everywhere. And Buffalo, at the same time, one of three games starting at 7 Eastern this Saturday, will play host to Philadelphia. So huge games for those teams. And then the late game on Saturday, San Diego at Colorado, at 9.30 Eastern time, of course, the West is a very tight race. And the way it stands right now, it would definitely be an East Division team and a North Division team getting the two wildcard spots. And they would be very tough teams. Nobody would want to play because that would be the Georgia Swarm and the Toronto Rock in 8th and 7th place, respectively. So right now, the West has... Only one team, Saskatchewan, is above 500. Calgary is in second place in the West, but they are tied at one and a half games back to Saskatchewan. Both Calgary and Vancouver, one game below 500. Calgary at three and four, Vancouver at four and five, but the Roughnecks beat Vancouver in their only head to head matchup. So they have that tie break right now. But the way it stands, there are only two playoff spots right now for the five teams in the West, and they're all so tightly bunched together with all five teams within two games of each other. So Colorado and San Diego playing on Saturday night, they're both the teams that are two games back, while Calgary and Vancouver are a game and a half, and Saskatchewan's sitting atop the division. So that's a huge one for San Diego and Colorado, especially, of course, given the way that the Seals hammered Colorado in Las Vegas last week. The Seals were going to want to keep that rolling. The Mammoth, coming off a tough loss to Saskatchewan, in which they played quite well, are going to want to get things rolling again because they are slipping a bit from their early season success. So, pretty exciting week ahead in the National Lacrosse League, and we'll see it all play out on BR Live. And, of course, I'll be covering it on Boxel Beat and on ILindoor.com, where you can get the best of lacrosse coverage on the Internet. That'll just about wrap things up for this episode of Box the Beat. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host and an editor at ILindoor.com, the home of the best lacrosse coverage on the internet. Thanks to you lacrosse friends for being with me once again. Thanks to Scott Dominey, an impressive young man who is making his way in the National Lacrosse League. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you will share it with your friends. And if you like it, please do follow on SoundCloud or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And make sure to come back and join me next week for more of the best of lacrosse radio on Box Beat.